This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. Election signs tend to become a bit of a contentious issue for filling up the landscape. Well, there's no real solution to that. You need them. And as much as we talked about the political game to begin the show, part of the political game is getting your name recognized. You'd like to say it isn't, but it is. Name recognition. You should never elect someone based on name recognition. And I've talked about this before. You don't necessarily need to feel compelled to vote if you're an uninformed voter. I've always believed that that's a a dangerous recipe right there. But we want to talk about election signs in a different way. There are some different election signs out there. Tom Cull is a Green Party candidate for London Fanshawe and joins us now. Tom, how are things? It's been an interesting campaign, but they're going really well, and uh, we're uh, we're having a lot of fun getting our message out there. Uh, we've been canvassing, talking to people, and uh, we're pretty excited. Whenever there is an election, we always tend to start talking about how bombarded the landscape gets with election signs. Everybody's putting up signs all over the place. They'll be anywhere there's kind of a green space that you can stick them. They'll be there. And then you get into those sign battles where somebody's got eight signs and somebody else has kind of put seven signs in the middle of those. So we've seen, you know, the odd change over the years. You're looking for something that is is really unique. Can you Tell us a little bit about your signs. Yeah, well, we were trying to rethink um, signs and uh, uh, do campaigning a little differently. Uh, t- uh, that's consistent with the, what the Green Party message is about doing politics differently. So we thought, well, let's try and think, uh, rethink how we do campaigning uh, and start with plastic signs. I mean, as you know, uh, we've got a big problem with plastics. Uh, they're clogging our waterways, our rivers, um, our oceans, their entering um, the food chain and um, you know we you and I have talked before about the river work that I do uh, we pick up a lot of uh, plastics out of the river in our monthly cleanups and so we thought this is an opportunity to rethink how we uh, want to uh, send out our message and make it a little bit more in line with um, you know what our party policies are so we decided that we would try to avoid using, uh, we're running a, a low waste campaign. It's not no waste. This is not, the message is not about being perfect. It's just about thinking about, uh, the ways that we consume and, um, and how we can, uh, rethink those choices. So, yeah, so we're using uh, a silk screen method for our signs and, uh, we're silk screening our signs onto, uh, uh, yard waste bags and onto uh, cardboard, you know, cardboard that we've recovered at the side of the road. And um, those are the two kind of uh, um, methods that we're using. Um, we are using some of the shelter signs as well, but those are paper. Um, basically, we're just trying to avoid um, uh, plastic that can't be recycled. We are talking with Tom Cole, London Fanshawe candidate for the Green Party, and we're talking about a different-looking sign that Tom's campaign does have. So in printing these, has it been a challenge? Has it been basically the, the same sort of thing as what printing plastic signs would be, only you're going on different materials? How's that worked? No, it has been a challenge. Um, you know, first uh, we had to enlist uh, uh, an artist friend of mine. Her name's Angie Quick. 
um, you know, uh, and we sat down and we said, okay, like, how can we um, create signs um, that, that aren't plastic? Um, and uh, so uh, she did some research and came up with this uh, silk screening method. It's called photo emulsion. Um, and so she had to research that. And then we had a couple of sign making parties where we invited folks to come over, bring cardboard, um, and, you know, we cut them into sign uh sign sizes and we taught uh, people how to do the silk screening method and we uh, taught them how to wheat paste um, the the signs onto the cardboard and then uh, one of my uh, campaign communications um, members came up with this great idea of like why don't we do them onto the yard waste bags so it's been a process of experimentation and we certainly aren't putting them out yet in the volume, perhaps, that we would like to. Um, but, you know, what we're trying to do is um, we're trying to do something that symbolizes what we need to do as a nation in terms of, uh, uh, in terms of how we produce and what we do with waste. Tom, I'm looking at the forecast for you right now, and today looks okay. I mean, there isn't really a chance of rain, even though the skies look threatening a couple of times. Tomorrow looks great. Wednesday, Thursday, all great. Friday and Saturday, we're expecting some rain, and plastic in the rain, the drops run right off. How about your signs? Is there any concern over what weather could bring before election time? Well, yeah, I mean, they, our signs will be, uh, are designed to break down. They will degrade over the course of the campaign, and I, I hope that people see that as a positive, um, and that they look at those signs and they say, okay, those will return to the earth, those will break down. Those, uh, those plastic signs are great at withstanding weather, but that's part of the problem, is that they'll withstand weather for the next thousand years. So I hope that when people see our signs, they look a little bit more rustic. Uh, they look a little bit more uh, do-it-yourself, and that's intentional. Um, that's that's we are trying to uh, get out the message that um, that uh, you know we need to rethink how we're um, using plastic and uh, how the things that we use every day have an afterlife, and that afterlife is landfill, and that uh, is something that we're passing down to our kids that they have to deal with. Um, so this is an opportunity. Lots of my colleagues are using plastic signs because they have them in their sheds, and that's absolutely fine. We're not passing judgment on any other campaign. Um, I, it's just that I'm a new candidate. I haven't run before, so I haven't made the investment in the plastic signs. So I thought, you know, why should we start now? Is the cost to do what you're doing more or less from your pocket? Uh, in terms of the campaign, uh, the, the, cost, the plastic signs aren't cheap. Um, and to tell you the honest truth, I, I'm not exactly sure, you know, what our, our costs are um, uh, for doing this. But I would say that they're definitely less than purchasing uh, the plastic signs. Um, you'll see my, you know, we're going to do some other signage out there with like the big, um, not billboards, but the big, big signs that, that you can rent. Uh, we're going to use some of the traditional methods um, again, we're, we're just going to stay away from those, you know, those, the, the plastic ones that you put up on the lawns. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we're, 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 we're saving money there and, um, you know, we're running a, we're running a tight campaign financially. And so we want, uh, people have been donating and it's been great, but we want to stretch every dollar we're given. And we also want to show people, um, what the Green Party is about when it comes to our financial policies, which is, you know, using our money smartly, uh, using it creatively, 
and uh, stretching every dollar. Before we go, Tom, we should mention somebody else you've been working with, and that's Resonant Printing. Yeah, Resonance Printing uh, Social uh, Enterprise and Indigenous Social Enterprise, they, um, you know, we wanted again to run our campaign thinking about sustainability, social responsibility. Um, Resonance Printing is a um, Indigenous Social Enterprise. It's on Dundas Street. It's a wonderful uh, program. Uh, and what it does is it offers internships and mentoring um, to teach financial sovereignty to Indigenous youth. So um, they do uh, wonderful silk sc- uh, screening um, T-shirts, and so we ordered our T-shirts from them to support, you know, a, a local enterprise. And they actually uh, got started with the silk screening because they lent us a silk screen and a squeegee and some of the equipment and know-how about how to do uh, about how to do the silk screening. So we definitely want to give them a shout out because they're they're uh, uh, they're a social enterprise that London should be very proud of. Tom, thanks so much for describing what's happening, and thanks so much for the time. Well, thank you much, so much for your interest, Mike, and have a great day. Tom Call, Green Party candidate for London Fanshawe. So different signs that will break down as opposed to the plastic ones. A lot of candidates, as Tom pointed out, they plan to run again. They can put those signs in the garage. They can put those signs in the basement. They can put those signs in the shed, and they will keep. So it'll be interesting to see how the signs hold up. I think that's the thing to watch because as long as you know the story, you're going to look and say, yeah, okay, that's Tom Call. That's that's the candidate that has recyclable signs. If you don't know the story, you'll look and go, why is that sign looking like that? Why haven't they replaced that sign? That sign's breaking down. So interesting story to watch throughout the rest of the campaign. We have... News that you can actually check out in detail at 980cfpl.ca. It involves the original cakery, which sounds like a bakery, but isn't quite. You can remember when it came in on Innovation Drive in London a few years ago. It is involved as a food processing plant, makes a lot of a lot of great things you can find in Costco and M&M Meats. Well... The word is it's going to expand and it's going to hire 100 additional workers over the next year. And joining us to talk more about this and kind of what it means in London is a man who's been involved in the cakery coming to London and other companies coming to London as well, Kapil Lakotia, who is the general manager of the London Economic Development Corporation. Kapil, can you maybe start off by taking us back to what the cakery was at or all about at the time it arrived? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, back in 2008, uh, we worked with the leadership at the original Cakery, which was based out of British Columbia, as they were looking for uh, a new production facility on the East Coast to set up uh, food processing for premium desserts. Uh, so we worked for several years with the uh, Cakery to uh, customize a site in Innovation Park in London, close to the 401, to set up a brand new facility. And at that time, it was the largest privately held desserts manufacturer in Canada. Uh, it was a very uh, significant news for London and in many ways um, uh, the leader in a growing food and beverage processing industry. Wow. Okay. So that came and then even if we look at some announcement after that, would you kind of look at the cakery and say that helped to do anything else? 
You know, the KCRI really solidified our approach in the food and beverage processing space. We picked food processing as a target sector following the KCRI announcement. And since then, over the last 10 years, many, many companies have arrived in London. You know, big names like Dr. Atkar, Natra, um, uh, as early as late last year with Maple Leaf Foods, showing that the food and beverage industry in the London region is on its way up. We've had several expansions as well at uh, Cargill, at Sikorsky Sausage, Nestle was uh, widely reported as well. So this whole industry has been on the growth curve uh, for the last 10 years. And we always used to look at London, Ontario and say, okay, what what are we? What can we do? We're close to the 401. Yes. Okay. That's fine. Uh, We have a lot of manufacturing jobs. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Then all of a sudden high tech started coming. But the idea that food services has become more of a hub in that section of the city. Do we look at that as being when someone says, what is London, Ontario? Do you include food services in the description? Oh, absolutely. You know, when you look at our location, our access to raw materials, our access to the final marketplaces, the uh, logistics setup in London with access to a million square feet of cold storage and temperature-controlled logistics, all those are vital ingredients for a successful food processing sector. No pun intended, of course. (laughs) We're talking with Kapil Lakota. The general manager of the London Economic Development Corporation. And Kapil, we mentioned the announcement off the start, but we haven't given you an opportunity to say what's happening with the cakery. Let's do that now for anybody who's just joining us. Well, exciting news with the cakery expanding in London. Uh, They are going to be hiring for 100 new positions. Uh, I would encourage anybody who's looking for a career in food processing to come out to uh, a major job fair that's taking place tomorrow. It's called the London Area Works Job Fair at the Western Fair tomorrow starting at 2 p.m. Over 85 employers are going to be exhibiting. And uh, this includes food processing companies. This includes manufacturing, high tech, banking, retail, uh, construction companies, you name it. There's a really good cross-section of companies. So in addition to the great news that we have with the original Cakery expanding and looking for 100 people, there are a lot of other growing companies in London that are also looking to ramp up. Wow. Okay. So this job fair, again, isn't just for employment with the cakery. It's employment. Give us the, uh, the when and the, and the where again on, on the job fair. So the job fair taking place tomorrow is at the Western Fair Agriplex starting at 2 p.m. till uh, 7 p.m. with over 85 different employers. Between these 85 employers, there are over 2,000 positions that they're recru- recruiting for across various uh, industry segments, whether it's construction, retail, manufacturing, high tech, bank banking and finance and so on. There are a lot of different opportunities for various skill levels, various educational backgrounds and uh, expertise and so on. Great. Now, when you look at food services, is this something that you're trying to grow even more or are we at a point where, hey, this is what we have, let's just keep it strong? No, this is certainly an area we're looking to diversify further. You'd uh, you'd recall that uh, 15, 20 years ago, our reliance on the automotive industry was quite heavy. Uh, Since then, there's been uh, conscious efforts to diversify into other areas of manufacturing, such as aviation, defense, food and beverage processing, building products, manufacturing, and so on. Anytime we have have healthy diversity in all of these industry sectors, it better uh, withstands economic uh, cycles and allows us to build more sustainability in the economy. Okay. 
Fantastic. Well, overall, this seems like a, a very good news announcement for the city of London. It is certainly a very sweet news story this morning. <laughs> and anyone who's wondering, okay, have, have I ever eaten anything that's made at the cakery? Uh, have we? Absolutely. The, uh, the cakery makes uh, hundreds of different products. Uh, there are products that are sold through M&Ms, food services, through hospitality industries, whether it's hotels, convention centers, and so on, as well as uh, Costco's and uh, other retailers that also carry uh, a lot of the original cakery products. So sure, we probably have. Absolutely. Well, we'll keep doing that. Kapil, keep doing what you're doing. Thanks for the time. Thanks for having me. Kapil Lakotia, General Manager of the London Economic Development Corporation. I'm actually just looking through a list. So layer cakes, uh, Nanaimo bars, brownies. All these all sound very good. Uh, I might have to run to the cafeteria here and, and see if I might be able to find layer cakes, Nanaimo bars, brownies. I do live life in a lot of ways by, by the old sports analogy and, and that sports can become a, a real window into the way that, that we live our lives because in a way, life is mirroring sports. My father-in-law always used to talk about that and really loved a book by former baseball commissioner Bart Giamatti that essentially showed baseball as a rule book for life and how it mirrored life. It's brilliantly done. Now, in saying that, when you practice in sports, what are you doing? Why do baseball players go out and why do they have 200 ground balls hit to them on a Monday so that they can go back out and hit 200 more ground balls? Why do they take batting practice? It's to stay sharp, right? You have to practice. You have to, you have to get reminders on things. You know, even the major league baseball players have to be reminded to hit the cutoff guy or be reminded to cover first base. Things like that happen. You have to have that. So today on London Live, as we close out, let's all practice as if we were Major League Baseball players. And uh, let's get a reminder on making sure that we're nice and comfortable this winter. Joining us right now is the operations manager of Reliance Home Comfort, Lena Alviar. Lena, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm noticing, Lena, that it's starting to get colder at night. I don't know if you've been noticing that, but last night I had to turn around, shut the window, and I'm waiting for the day when I wake up, because I know it's coming, been around here before, that you wake up in the morning and think, hey, we should uh, flip on the furnace. It's, it is coming, isn't it? Yep, it is coming. What a shame, eh? It but is, it is. Fine. We, we need to know... Because you can give us the tips. We need to know what exactly should we be doing in order to be prepared for that day. Right. So basically, for sure, you need to book a professional furnace inspection uh, before you turn the furnace on. That's what's recommended. So schedule a furnace checkup before temperatures drop to ensure your furnace is working properly and to avoid long wait times during the whole, uh, coldest months of the year. You mentioned maintenance. How important is that? Very, very important, right? Because it helps avoid uh, untimely breakdowns that often come with hefty repair bills. Uh, it flags any potential issues that may cause a breakdown when it is very cold. Um, it extends the life of your home comfort equipment, uh, which is really like the heart of your home's infrastructure. And, uh, you know, just making sure that you're changing your filters and inspecting all the safety controls. 
Let's talk filters for just a second. Is there a rule of thumb? Because it would be nice if a furnace went beep, beep, beep. Can you please change my filter? Maybe there are some out there that even do that, but a lot of them don't. Yep. So what is the rule of thumb as to how long a furnace filter can last? Because most of us will pull them out and go, oh, there's a bunch of gray stuff on here. Um, right. Do I stick it back in? Do I change it? What do I do? Well, it depends on the size of the filter that you have. So if you have one of those thick ones, the five-inch ones, then it's, it's once every six months. It's recommended that you replace it. And, but if it's one of the, the, the little ones, the one-inch ones, then it's about once every two to three months. Uh, but you, you should be checking it at least once a month to make sure it's not very dirty because it is very important to change your filter because if you don't, the, all the dust, through inside your furnace and it makes your blower motor work harder and you're wasting more energy. So it's very, very important to replace your filters regularly and and making sure that it's not jeopardizing the the efficiency and the, the functionality of your system. Lena Alviar joining us, Operations Manager of Reliance Home Comfort. As we just go through that little checklist of the things that we need to do, that maintenance, should it be considered an annual maintenance, Lena? Yes. Annual maintenance, you could, yes, that's right. You could do your air conditioner uh, before the summer and your furnace before the winter. You can do both once a year. And basically what you what you can expect is, uh, you know, as I mentioned, check and change the filters, inspect the safety controls, check the venting to ensure proper airflow, uh, inspect your carbon monoxide and smoke, uh, smoke detector, drain and store the um, outside garden hose to prevent cracking and um, check the humidifier, make sure that you replace the pad as well because it's going to get dry and, um, you know, lubricate your blower motor, check your thermostat, make sure it's working properly. Um, that, that, that's, that's about it. That's not too bad, though, but that's a nice little checklist for us to kind of rhyme off and then be ready for when those cold winter days come and we're wearing coats and hats and boots outside. Lena, great tips. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a safe and happy cold weather season. Thank you so much. You too. Lena Alvia, Operations Manager of Reliance Home Comfort. You've been listening to the London Live Podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3. 